This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? Long time, no talk. <laughs> yeah, we just recorded uh, episode 81 last night. Here we are with 82, finishing up season seven. Two more to go. So I'm good. I'm excited to kind of dive into this next chapter, as it were, of The Office. And we're getting awfully close. Yeah, it's it's mm. weird. Yeah, only two seasons left out of the, the nine total. I, you know, I feel like we make the same joke every time we record two episodes in quick succession. <laughs> uh, so maybe it's not funny to anybody else, but it makes me laugh. So, <laughs> And it's going to keep happening every time. So Every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't have introductions or anything to get through, and when we say this is a big episode, we mean it in a lot of different ways because this is going to be another producer's cut episode. That's the way it's presented on the DVD. It is a 55-minute long episode. It took all day, yeah. literally all day for me to work on this today to, to get it prepared for podcasting. So buckle in, folks. Yeah, I was doing it last night in preparation, and I was like, Chad, just as a warning... <laughs> start now because it'll take forever so i know our last episode was quite long i know we we Mm -hmm. it took us about two hours to record i'm not sure what the final edit will end up being but it Mm -hmm. uh this is going to be another bulky one so grab a snack (laughs) yeah oh i guess too late for me (laughs) i've got coffee listener grab a snack Okay, so we are talking about the last episode of season seven, or last episodes. It's technically a two-parter. It is Search Committee. It aired on May 19th of 2011, was directed by Jeffrey Blitz, and written by Paul Lieberstein. Dwight has been demoted from his post as acting manager, and Jim, Gabe, and Toby have been assigned to the Search Committee to find a new manager. They interview a slew of zany candidates, as well as some familiar faces. No manager is selected yet, though, which leaves the end of season seven in suspense for the future of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. There is a tangled web of story for us to get through before we do anything else. So let's just sort of in general talk about what the search committee is doing. Uh, They are going through all the candidates and some of the candidates include in-house people like Daryl and Andy and Kelly. and. There are also included a lot of outside candidates. And so we get to see a lot of new faces, uh, a couple of familiar faces in the sense that we know the actors and their fun cameos, but they don't play existing characters. And so uh, that's a lot of the, the bulk of the episode right there is us being privy to these interviews that are some going okay, some going a little bit less than okay, some going just downright strangely. Uh, Jim says there are bound to be some good candidates, and I think some of the best ones are in-house. And so let's talk through the in-house candidates, I suppose. Yeah, this was a difficult episode to kind of organize because it it jumps all over the place. The first one I guess we should talk about is probably Daryl. In his interview, he starts out pretty confident. He's joking around with the guys. They're his friends. I mean, he knows how to handle himself. They joke around. He thinks that, okay, my interview's done. He stands up. He says, I think we'd make a good fit. Gabe awkwardly has to tell him, hey, we haven't started the interview yet. That was just chatting, as we do in the <laughs> office, but we have to interview you. And asks if Daryl was joking, which is, oops, okay, back to reality. He does have to interview for this job. And he isn't 
as prepared as a lot of the people who have come in off the street, not off the street, but outsiders who are applying for this job. And I think Daryl is banking a little bit on the fact that they know him and they know his work ethic and they know his history. He, I, I don't know if he thinks he's a shoe in but he doesn't think that, I don't know, that he has to prepare as much for this interview. And he has not. I do think he's a little bit overconfident. He even draws attention to the fact that it doesn't hurt that he's a minority. He says, I'm black. And so, I mean, he's leaning a little bit too heavily on the fact that these people do know him and that he is familiar. But when they start the actual interview, he is not prepared. He doesn't know how to answer the questions. And they're pretty basic management questions. How would you settle an interpersonal conflict between employees? And Daryl just says, oh, I didn't realize that was my job. I thought that was what you have to do, Toby. And Toby says, well, I mean, I think it's one of my strengths, but it's your job. And so Daryl gives this like around the beating around the bush. Oh, I, I would turn it into a, a lesson about actions and consequences of actions, which is a non-answer. You're still not giving, you're not answering the question. You're saying what you would do would do, right? right. Um, the, the result of what he would do. He doesn't even know what a resume is. He hasn't even prepared a resume. And so he is just completely caught off guard and he walks out much less confidently than he walked in. And later he's freaking out about putting together that resume because he hasn't had to do it before. Uh, he's been at Dunder Mifflin the past two, uh, 10 years. And I mean, we don't know how old he is, but maybe he didn't have like a, a resume producing job before Dunder Mifflin. And he sees there's another black man interviewing as well from outside, uh, outside the house. And so he's worried about his diversity ticket being taken away. Like, there's my free ride. And Jim does comfort him. He, he teases him a little bit first. But he comforts him and says, listen, man, we know you. Your interview isn't as important as the others. But we're not left to think that Daryl is exactly in a great place when it comes to how his interview went. It takes him all day to craft his resume, which I get. I mean, if you haven't done that in 10 years, you'd be a little rusty. And he finally gets Jim his resume. He puts it on the desk. Joe ends up coming in later in the episode and notices Daryl's resume on Jim's desk. And she picks it up. It is four pages long. And as you said, he has worked two jobs in the last 10 years, both of which were at Dunder Mifflin. And he's not lying on his resume, but he's really exaggerating and, and stretching the details <laughs> of his job. He says he coordinated and, and implemented receipt, storage, and delivery of over 2.5 billion units of inventory. So is like 2.5 billion, really, in 10 years. Turns out he meant pieces of paper are those billions of units. And in the extended cut, Joe actually does the math. He's close. He didn't lie. It's just a way to sound more impressive because he's clearly feeling underwhelming compared to these, you know, fancy, shiny, possible new hires. And he's just Daryl, you know, and so he's trying to find some way to stand out a bit more, I think. Mm -hmm. When you read, when you're an avid reader and you compile your end of year total of what you read, you don't say, I read... 50,000 pages most of the time that might be like a fun stat but you say i read 20 books or whatever 
I mean, that would be ambitious. I don't read 20 books a year. And you certainly but, don't count words or letters. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't count it by its smallest part. I don't. I don't say I have 500 billion friends because I'm counting each individual atom in their body. Like, <laughs> it's 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 not how you do things. And so Daryl, he he's trying really hard and is just he didn't put in the preparation he should have. Uh, now another uh, inside potential hire is Andy, who is going for the job. He has lots of support from Aaron. They're really close. And he at first sort of claims, you know, I really don't care if I get the job. It's it's just not the Bernard way to not go for it. He says they give it the old college try, and in defeat, they show grace. Uh, turns out, duh, obviously, Andy really does want the job. Uh, in the producer's cut, he tells Daryl good luck as Daryl's walking into his interview. And Daryl doesn't say, you too. He says, just thank you. He accepts it and doesn't offer anything back. And Andy has a talking head where he says, is that the kind of boss he would be completely insensitive to the insecurities of other people in this office who might also be interviewing for the manager position and might also want to be wished a little bit of luck because they're kind of spinning out a little bit? I don't want that kind of boss. No, thank you. Not good. Good man, though. Nice guy. My best friend. (laughs) So (laughs) Andy is just very antsy. He's very anxious, and he nervously goes into his interview after Phyllis even asks him, you know, is this even a good idea? I don't have a lot of faith in you, and I'd hate to see you disappointed. So it, it, it's not off to a good start with Andy as far as his headspace goes. It's sort of the opposite of Daryl, at least at first. However, in Talking Heads, people seem to think that Andy might make a good manager. Phyllis says that she'd be happy. This is an extended cut. She'd be happy if Andy were her boss. He listens to her stories, and they're not always A-plus stories, she says, let's be honest, but he always listens like they're A-plus stories. She clarifies, well, some are A-plus, but uh, he, he's a good listener, and he cares about his friends and his, his co-workers. Aaron has a talking head. She says, I think Andy should be the boss. He's just so great. If I'm being objective, then Daryl, of course. So, okay, she is friends with Andy, but he's well-liked. People aren't against necessarily the idea of Andy, but people definitely want Andy or Daryl at this point, it seems like. They're both decent candidates. They're both qualified enough and sane enough that people would feel comfortable. Andy's interview does not go well either, though. This time, it's not necessarily Andy's fault. It's because Gabe is on the committee and is sort of conspiring against Andy because of his whole relationship with Aaron. He has good answers for his questions, unlike Daryl. He's prepared. He, he knows how to respond in an interview because, I mean, I'm sure that's part of his collegiate experience. It's part of his familial experience. He, he's done this sort of thing before. And he says, you know, I think that we could streamline communication around here. And Gabe says, oh, wow, that is a serious accusation that you're leveling against Toby. And then throughout, Gabe is just continuing to sabotage Andy's interview. And so Andy also, like Daryl, leaves his interview understandably dissatisfied. And we see him sort of going through the steps of anger management in his car, at least trying to. He's, he's very directly stating what he's upset about, but he's not able to fully contain how upset he is. And at the end of the episode, when they're all having a sort of discussion, we'll talk more about that, uh, Andy's being sort of really hard on himself. He's really self-deprecating. He says, 
um, maybe there's a safe if if somewhat unexciting choice, or maybe somebody lame would be good for the position. And he says in a talking head, I think I'm about to fail upward. He He's just really hard on himself. And it's it's tough because, I mean, Andy's arc so far, I mean, after you get past the anger management stuff, after you get past the initial uh, relationships with Aaron and with Angela, he is struggling to find his place as a salesman and trying to prove that he's capable. And I mean, he's not that great a salesman, but if the people like him and he's sort of going to keep things going in the direction they're going, he could be a great manager. And so he, he's, he's still trying to see that potential in himself. So he's uncertain by the end as well. The third applicant from Dunder Mifflin is Kelly, and she's taking herself very seriously, but no one else seems to be, especially Gabe. He even flat out tells her, look, we have a lot of serious candidates today to get through. So if you could basically wrap up, he, he doesn't really want to listen to her. We have a lot of qualified people out there, he says. And she demands to be taken seriously, but then spends the rest of her, her interview giving sarcastic answers to Gabe's questions and sassing Gabe and basically blowing the interview. Where when she demanded to be taken seriously, maybe she could have earned his respect and gotten his attention, but instead she just spent the rest of the time blowing her chance that she made for herself. So now definitely no one is, is taking her seriously. It's funny seeing how Gabe's position on Kelly has her reversed since he first showed up because he was the one who got her into the minority executive training program. And I guess he's seen how that sort of was a failure of an experiment, I guess. Uh, Kelly didn't really take a whole lot away from it, except she dresses like Hillary Clinton now. Um, (laughs) And so it's just interesting to see Gabe is the one not taking her seriously. Just speaking of Kelly, and since we're on the subject of her and Gabe, uh, when Joe shows up later in the episode, Kelly takes it upon herself to talk with Joe in private and says, as minority executive, I think it's my responsibility to let you know that Gabe is gross. (laughs) I don't think it's professional that he was sleeping with a receptionist. And then when Aaron dumped him so that she could be with Andy, he became a total crazy stalker psycho. True. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally true. He he he's I don't know what what word I was going with. He's uh, I think uh the word Andy used to describe him in the last episode. He says this is horrific the way you're acting right now, the way you're crying and just being pathetic, obsessive. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so later Joe uh asked the committee about Andy's interview and Gabe goes on and on about all the ways that Andy's not qualified. And Joe speaks up and says, so it's not relevant that he took the receptionist away from you. And she decides that it's time for Gabe to leave Scranton and go back to Florida since he got way more involved in their lives than he was ever meant to. So Gabe is leaving. And just as a quick aside, again, since we're on the subject, uh, in the producer's cut, we find out how Gabe got the job in the first place. Joe says, back when I bought this place, I was looking for a ghost, somebody to flitter around, spooking people, keeping them on their toes, and then disappear. My girlfriend said she knew a man who looked like a ghost, and he went to business school, but a ghost ain't supposed to date people. You think you're Beetlejuice? <laughs> he says, no, I'm, I'm no Beetlejuice. She says, you're no good to me up here. You got all close to these people, got involved in their lives. Let's get you back to Florida. We'll figure out something for you. 
He says, that sounds like a promotion. She says, it's not. <laughs> it's not. And then she replaces Gabe's spot on the committee with Kelly. Jim isn't too keen on this. And Joe says, it's because Gabe's tall and weak and Kelly's short and strong. I'm doing an opposites thing. <laughs> I so, always like that, yeah. So that's that's a lot of talking about Kelly's interview and how it didn't go well. But it not going well resulted in Gabe now is leaving and going back to Florida. And Kelly is on the committee helping decide this this new hire instead of him. Now, I'm not quite sure the, the easiest way to untangle this, but I think we should talk about a an applicant for the job named Robert California. And he will bring us into our next uh, topic, I believe. So Robert California is a man who is very difficult to put into words. I don't know how to describe him. He's possibly the world's most confident man. In Jim's words, he creeps me out, but I think he might be a genius. So in the extended cut, on the way out of the office, Robert stops by Hank's caffeine corner and sees Dwight. Dwight asks Robert how he could possibly judge the worth of a business after just one interview because Robert California has just basically negated Dunder Mifflin. He said, I, this place is worthless, essentially. Uh, I, I'm not going to work here. Robert California just stares at Dwight for long enough that Dwight catches on to what he's doing, sizing him up. Robert California, you gotta say the whole name, says, it's too late, I know you, I know your nature, and Dwight asks him if he knows anything about paper, how it's made, etc. Dwight's just getting territorial and, and, and proud of his position and his job, which all throughout the episode so far, we've seen Dwight struggle. He looks like he looked after the breakup with Angela. He hasn't shaved. He's just sullen and angry and just and not taking care of himself and looking for a new job. But here, when Robert kind of challenges Dunder Mifflin, we see Dwight turn around and we see him take pride in his job and pride in the company. And he has a talking head, Dwight, where he says, I'm going to prevent inferior men from sullying my place of work with their weak, passionless leadership. Do you see my hat? No, that's just because I threw it in the ring. So now Dwight is going to interview for the manager job, even though he was just demoted from the acting manager job. But he's not going to do it as Dwight. He's going to try to trick the search committee into hiring him, and he dresses as a man named Jacques Souvenir. He is head-to-toe wrapped in gauze and bandage because he is apparently a burn victim. And this is his costume to not get caught being Dwight. And Joe catches on very quickly and says, I want to see Dwight in here in 60 seconds. If he's not in here, <laughs> she doesn't say what's going to happen, but I would imagine something bad. And, and Dwight reveals, it's me. Everyone's just shocked that Dwight would possibly try again when they're replacing him, you know? Dwight had tried to, to get an interview as himself, and Jim was pretty adamant, no, you're, you're not going to. And when Joe shows up and he talks to her and she says, okay, I'll do the interview right here in the middle of the office. First question, have you ever fired a gun in the office? <laughs> Easy question. Uh, he says, it's complicated. And she says, no, it's not. Uh, so, yeah, the whole Jacques Souvenir thing, what it proves to Joe specifically 
is who else in the world would go to such great lengths simply to be the manager of a small-time paper company in Pennsylvania? Only Dwight would do that. And it shows his passion for the company and for the job. And so even though she she shoes him out of the office and plays like she's not going to give him the chance, by the end, she is willing, hey, Jim, give Dwight an interview. I like Sometimes I like a little crazy. So Dwight, through his intensity, through his crazy, has shown his passion for the job and is apparently back in the running in some capacity. It, it's kind of strange to me because, I mean, even though Joe tells Jim that he can have an interview, did she really think that he would be seriously considered? I wouldn't think so, but I mean, I guess we're proven wrong because earlier in the episode, Dwight had sort of bribed Jim and said, hey, if, if you give me the job, here are the perks that you're going to get. It was stuff like your own parking spot, free coffee every day from Dwight's Caffeine Corner, stuff like that. And Jim turned it down, obviously. But now that Kelly's on the committee, she quotes part of that part of the episode verbatim because Dwight said the same thing when bribing Kelly and she accepted it. So Kelly is on board for Dwight being manager. And Toby says, well, you know, maybe we could give it a try for a little while. And uh, if it doesn't work out, then one of us will step in. And Jim is just like, what is happening? Why are we even considering this? This man fired a gun in the office. This man fired a gun in the office. How are you even considering that he would be manager? And even beyond the gun in the office thing, there were so many changes he made that everybody was not on board with. All of this devolves into an office, like, roundtable, public forum kind of discussion, accidentally. And Phyllis, at first, says, hey, is Dwight being main manager? And Jim says, no. And he addresses the office, says, no decision's been made. Dwight is definitely not the boss. And they start arguing over whether it's Jim's decision alone. Uh, Jim starts asking for other people's opinions. Oscar thinks it should be Daryl. Ryan says, maybe it should be an outsider or someone on the edge of society, like a homeless person. And there's a funny scene between him and Pam where she argues against that. Andy keeps promoting himself as someone safe slash unexciting slash lame. Meredith wants someone smart, professional, decisive, and well-hung in his 40s. And it culminates, all of this nonsense just culminates in Phyllis thinking that they're taking a vote on who the new manager will be after all this discussion. And that's absurd. This isn't a popularity contest, no matter what Phyllis says at the beginning of the episode in A Talking Head with Stanley. I think that's only the producer's cut. Uh, but Jim says, this conversation really got away from me. We're going to go in there. We're going to make a decision because that is what we have been hired to do. That is what we've been asked to do by our CEO to make a decision. You people do not have a say in this. Uh, it, it just goes crazy for a few minutes. At that point, actually, Daryl, who is still upset about how his day went, uh, well, in the extended cut, Earlier, Daryl had approached Jim and tells him that he thinks he came off terribly today. You know me. This, is, this isn't me. What happened? What should he do? Should he call Joe? Should he have his old boss call her? Jim interrupts and says, this isn't Daryl. The Daryl we all know and love is calm and confident. Just be that guy. Instead, during this accidental roundtable, Daryl has entered the building with his very coached daughter, Jada, 
who runs into the office and gives Jim a big hug and asks her dad if these are the people who will be making him manager. Daryl kind of, oh, maybe, you know, if I'm lucky. And he starts playing the single dad card. And Jim just looks at him and shakes his head. And then when Jada keeps going, Daryl says, no, 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 this was a bad idea. And ushers her out. So Andy, as you said, is getting really vocal and, and, and pessimistic about his want for the job. And he even says, when Meredith says she wants someone well hung, and then she sarcastically says, well, no, of course, like, let's have the guy with the small penis. And he says, well, would that work? <laughs> we, we, could, we could do that, you know, hinting at himself. Everyone in their own way is vouching for themselves and vouching for who they want in the office. And it's just getting to be mayhem. And as you said, this isn't a vote. And it just sort of became a mayhem situation. Like when there are three people in the office who are being reviewed and, and considered to be manager, especially then maybe don't bring it out into the bullpen and ask for common opinion because it's just, it's just not going to work. The original team really needed to just sit down and decide this for themselves. Just before we sort of close up this part of the character discussion, I do want to say how glad I am for Andy that he finally speaks up and says, okay, I want the job. Because we've seen from Andy in the past that he's not good at vocalizing exactly what he wants or exactly what he's capable of. But he finally stands up for himself and says, I want the job. I'm smart. I'm educated. I like all of you. I wouldn't change anything. I mean, this is the guy who couldn't ask Aaron out on a date a couple seasons ago uh, because he couldn't, he couldn't just say, hey, Aaron, I like you. But here he's finally saying, I want the job. And so I'm glad Andy is sort of growing up a little bit and standing up for what he wants. But as you said earlier, we don't get an answer as to who the new hire is. We're going to have to wait until the next episode to find that out. Uh, But before we get into funny moments, there's still just a little bit more character discussion to talk about, uh, starting with Aaron. Turns out Phyllis gave away a baby when she was in high school. Uh, That was revealed to us in a talking head a couple of episodes ago. And Aaron was born around the same time and in the same region. So... The chances are slim, but there's a possibility, a slight possibility, that Phyllis might be Aaron's mother, which obviously is Aaron excited because, hey, she might have a mom. And Phyllis appears to try to be tempering her expectations a little bit. And we do find out eventually that they're not related. Uh, But Phyllis is going to wait and tell Aaron another day. But because of this potential for familial relations, uh, they are sort of close this episode and they're acting like mother and daughter just to to get some practice in case they do turn out to be related and in the producer's cut there's a scene after andy's interview where aaron asks how his interview went and he says i don't want to brag but uh i did my best and that then he excuses himself to his car and at this point phyllis has sort of been eyeing the two of them all episode and she says you're you're so cute when are you going to get back together? And we've sort of been wondering the same thing. We haven't had any confirmation one way or another what their their thoughts on each other are. Um, And Aaron says, never, we're just friends. And Phyllis says, oh, my mistake. But with your legs, you could have any guy in the office. Go for it if you're interested, but you're not. And then Aaron starts pondering it. And we see one scene also in the producer's cut where Aaron tries to make dinner for Andy at her place. 
and she frames it as a payback for the three dollars he lent her for lunch a, a month or so back. Uh, but he says that's way more effort than it's worth. Just bring it tomorrow because it wasn't presented as a date. He's really nonchalant about, yeah, you don't have to do that. I don't, there's no big deal. Just bring me $3 tomorrow. At that point, we get into what's in the episode that you see on Netflix, which is Phyllis trying to help her get Andy. Now that Aaron has decided Andy is what she wants. Phyllis even tries to give Aaron a uh, pep talk as to how long it took Bob to notice her, which I'm sure we'll go into in a bit, as it's fairly comical and gross if she was her mother. Erin, though, is persistent. She puts on a puppet show at her desk. It was originally, as we learned in the producer's cut, going to be a puppet show to warn people about the faulty outlet behind the fax machine, but change of plans, it's now a ruse to ask Andy out. So she is trying again. It didn't work the first time. He either wasn't interested or didn't catch on to what she was doing. So the puppet says that the evil witch Angela turned her into a puppet, and there's only one thing that will turn her back, a date with the best salesman. He's not the best salesman. Andy Bernard. And Andy walks up to the desk, kind of uncomfortably, and tells her that he's flattered, but he doesn't think that they should. There's a talking head then with Andy where he says, she asked him out, but he just didn't get that feeling. There are certain things you really want to like, but you can't seem to like it. He says, like, Mad Men or football. He says he spent so long getting over her, like, he's not going to apologize for getting over her. And he did. So, oops. I think we all misread that mood because we all thought Andy was still liking Aaron. But apparently he has moved on and they are just friends. And now Aaron has gone out of her way twice today and got shut down twice and uh, won kind of publicly. Well, I have a question about that, because the way that talking head from Andy is presented is it's like in cuts, which is really strange. Like the way Office Quotes describes it, uh, describes it is clip jumps ahead. Mm. And it seems to be implying that Andy is sitting there talking about how he's not interested in Aaron for a while. And then they just shortened it for the purpose of the documentary or whatever. So... What what do you think the significance of that is? Is he trying to avoid hurting himself? Is he trying to avoid hurting Gabe for some reason? Is he is he trying to avoid something and not being fully honest with himself? And so it's just excuse after excuse after excuse to justify why he shouldn't be with Aaron right now, even if that's not how he really feels. I think he's justifying something, but I don't know why he would. Like, maybe it's because they went out before and it's complicated and Gabe works here, at least for now. And it would be dramatic if it didn't work out. It would be dramatic if it did. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think. I, at first, when I watched this, thought, okay, he really doesn't like her. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on, at, at this point, what he's feeling. It, it seems, based on his actions, that he does. I mean, we all know that. They're very flirtatious, very friendly. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for this. I don't know. I'm looking at his talking head, and one of the the points he makes is, let's not forget that Aaron chose Gabe over me. That happened. Mm. I'm not going to apologize for getting over her. So maybe it's just his feelings are hurt that she did pick somebody like Gabe rather than somebody like him. I I don't know. Um, Maybe it's just raw feelings there or something. But in any case, Andy does turn her down in this episode. 
The other big story thing that happens is Angela. Big, big Angela things happen in this episode. She gets an unusual call from Robert. I'm going out for lunch with the senator, the state senator, at the Botanical Gardens. Kevin calls it Scranton's hidden gem, and he warns her not to eat any berries she doesn't recognize. And she comes back wearing an engagement ring. And there's a, a small scene in the producer's cut where when she first arrives and sees Hank, she thrusts her hand in his face and says, I'm engaged. And he just looks at it and goes, damn, girl. And when she shows the rest of the office and tells the story, she mentions that there were reporters and everyone was crying, including Robert's aide, Thomas, who we saw in all their photos a couple of episodes ago uh, when she was showing Michael. And Oscar makes a face and then he has a talking head. He says, <laughs> Angela's engaged to a gay man. As a gay man, I'm horrified. As a friend of Angela's, horrified. As a lover of elegant weddings, I'm a little excited. But, but overall, horrified. Angela's being obnoxious about everything. She's talking about wedding plans, says Stanley can't go because they're trying to keep the guest list under 350. They have to see how many other senators and members of Congress are going to attend and asks Pam about her, quote, ironic wedding. Uh, Do you still have the plans for the dream wedding that you couldn't afford? Pam says that was our dream wedding. Angela responds with Niagara Falls, pregnant. That was your dream. Pork medallions. And Pam holds her tongue. And says, I hope you have a beautiful wedding. I skipped over a chunk of something, but uh, okay. That's all relevant. Yeah, that, that is all relevant. But what, what I didn't mention was at this point when Angela's bragging about her wedding plans, Oscar confided in Pam earlier and said, hey, I believe, I'm pretty confident that Robert is gay. What do we do about that? And so that turns into a big discussion point uh, between several of the characters. Uh, behind Angela's back. Pam asks two questions of Oscar when he confides this in her. She thinks either A, Oscar slept with Robert, that's how he knows, or B, saw him in a bathhouse, you know, that windowless building over by Baskin Robbins. Oscar doesn't know what she's talking about. She says, forget it, I'm never going to know what goes on in there. But they go on the phone with Oscar's friend at the Scranton Blade, which perhaps a newspaper or something i'm I'm not sure i couldn't find anything online about it but ryan walks over and just says are you talking senator and when they ask why they would be ryan tells him that he knows that robert is gay and we check we cut to a ryan talking head how do i know robert's gay he liked my facebook photos at three in the morning <laughs> that i mean that could be a sign yes possibly <laughs> but it turns out that now there's this huge under-the-table discussion with everyone but Angela in the office as to, is she engaged to a gay man? And the consensus at the end of the day is, yes, he is gay. And everyone basically makes a pact to not tell her. She's happy. She's less surly and aggressive than normal. I mean, I guess we don't tell her. No one's getting hurt, I guess. It's just... What do you do? Uh, and they all decide not to tell her. Yeah, it does go back and forth a couple times. Phyllis originally says, screw her. Angela once went a whole day without telling me I had lettuce in my teeth. So yeah, let her marry a gay man. That, that seems equivalent in my eyes, I guess. Pam says, as a woman, I'd want to know. And as you said, they do decide, well, Angela's happy. So who are we to take that away from her? I don't know. So this whole time Angela is talking to them about their wedding plans. Uh, everybody else is sort of like, 
oh, he's gay, but I guess we're not going to say anything. And in the producer's cut, we get a couple, a little additional, like, tongue-in-cheek, sly little comments. Phyllis asks Angela, are you looking forward to your wedding night? And Angela says, what happens in my bedroom is none of your business. And Stanley just mutters, or yours. (laughs) Then Oscar has a talking head, also in the producer's cut. He says, I've built up these enemies in my head, Angela, and I want them to suffer. But the thing is, I don't. You don't want them to suffer, Oscar. And so Oscar seems to be conflicted, even though they said they weren't going to tell Angela uh, to keep her happiness in check. Oscar seems to maybe be wavering a little bit to to be honest with her. So we'll see what happens with that in the future. We still don't have like 100% confirmation. I mean, the evidence seems to suggest that Robert is a gay man. But I mean, we, we still haven't, we, we don't know 100% for sure yet. We don't, we haven't seen evidence. We've seen it through the characters. Right. But we, we haven't seen anything, so we don't know. There's also one small bit that was really basically only mentioned in the producer's cut that Toby, I mean, he kind of hints at this, but it's really in the producer's cut that he would kind of like to be considered to be manager. He won't really say it. He, he definitely won't vouch for himself, but he starts kind of hinting at it in the meetings with Joe and Joe catches on and she says, are you telling me that you want to be manager? And he says, well, I mean, if we can't find anyone, she says, no, tell me you're the best man for the job. And he can't do it. He says, I, I try really hard and I wouldn't be the worst candidate, <laughs> but he can't say that he would be any good. He has no faith in himself, apparently. And Joe just steamrolls and says, nope. <laughs> she calls him Dick Cheney for like sneaking his way into a position, I guess. and. um yeah, and that's that's basically the extent of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's sort of uh, the same thing that happens when Pam asserts herself as office manager mm-hmm. and she she tells Gabe to call her a liar, make a make a definitive statement one way or the other, and he can't do it. Uh, Toby's doing the same thing here. He's hemming and hawing. He can't say he's going to be great for the job, but he's also not going to say he'd be terrible for the job. Uh, so without that confidence, Joe is not going to give it to him. And I mean, we see Joe responds to confidence. That's why she's so keen to give Dwight that second chance or third chance or whatever number chance it is at this point is because Dwight showed initiative and is confident in his abilities uh, and potential as manager. So, And I guess as sort of a transition into funny moments, we should mention a couple of the faces we've seen. We did see a familiar face, a minor character for the U.S. office, a major character for the U.K. office, we saw David Brent again, who is, of course, Ricky Gervais, the creator of the U.K. version of the show. We last saw him in the seminar in season seven, episode 13. He plays the Michael character in the U.K. version, which, as we said last time, creates a very uncomfortable parallel in which (laughs) both offices exist in the same world, Um, which, dear Lord, I hope that's not true, because that would be really freaky. But it does. David Brent is that character and he's acting as himself. So, yes, we see him and he's interviewing via a video call. He is in England at the time. So that's creepy. and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about the other candidates that we see, the very first one we meet is played by Will Arnett, 
all these characters apparently have names, but I mean, they don't pop up again, so I'm not going to worry about them. There's Will Arnett. He's got this funny bit. In the producer's cut, it's extended. We first learned that he was in Hong Kong three times with the Navy. And Jim says, oh, tell us about your experience. And he just says, it was nuts. That's, that's, that sums up my experience in the Navy in Hong Kong. It was nuts. And he says, well, what did you do over there? Says, I was a meteorologist. Well, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what does that entail when you're in the Navy and you're a meteorologist? And he just says, I predicted the weather. He says, I'm not a god. I'm just a guy in a shack with binoculars. So Gabe just sort of casually maybe trying to transition or something says, well, how about this weather here? And Arnett's character says, don't even talk to me about the weather, man. Just all comes back to me. There was this one night where I predicted it was going to be warm. I sent 200 men out without their jackets. And it ended up being 60 degrees with a wind chill of 52. You can't imagine their faces shivering through that Carrie Underwood concert. (laughs) Uh, Apparently that gave him some sort of PTSD, sending men into a moderately chilly environment to watch Carrie Underwood in concert while being part of the Navy. Very mild. (laughs) Uh, And then we get into the the part that we actually see in the episode, the, the normal episode, where he he claims to have a three-step plan that would double the profits of Dunder Mifflin. Sounds pretty great. And if he can enact it, yeah, maybe he'd be a great fit for the office. And so they ask, well, what's your plan? He says, nice try. He's not going to give them the plan because he's like, if you give me the job, then you'll get the plan. Game says, well, it's an interview. We don't really know that you have a plan. <laughs> And so he says, believe me, you guys want the plan. I got a plan. You, you, you will get the plan. You want it, right? You're in paper, right? He says, okay, I will give you part of the plan. I will give you part three of part two. Not even going to give you a whole part. Color code said documents. TM. <laughs> Jim says, did you just trademark that? Fred says, that's a, that's a verbal trademark. That's an agreement. And so this guy is crazy. And at the end of the episode, even though from our perspective and from the committee's perspective, it didn't go well, he, he says, I've never been more sure of anything in my life. I will be the new boss of, he doesn't even know what, what company he was applying for. And he looks back at the marquee and he says, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly where you're going to get a job. We see a cameo that took me a bit longer to peg than it should have. Warren Buffett asks for a higher salary. Uh, he kind of haggles with these people he asks for a bigger gas stipend he wants long distance calls taken care of and and maybe on the honor system and he he's haggling which of course warren buffett is a billionaire i mean he's <laughs> uh, i don't know if he's playing warren buffett or if he's playing a character that's not discussed but he has a very small cameo then we see robert california who's played by james spader who was the man I mentioned earlier, who was just terrifying and fascinating. He has a great scene with Toby here when Toby asks if his skills at his last job would transfer to Dunder Mifflin. Robert says, You see, I sit across from a man. I see his face. I see his eyes. Now, does it matter if he wants $100 of paper or $100 million of deep-sea dwelling equipment? Don't be a fool. He wants respect. He wants love. He wants to be younger. He wants to be attractive. There is no such thing as a product. Don't ever think there is. There is only (laughs) sex. Everything is sex. You understand that what I'm telling you is a universal truth, Toby. 
and Toby, yes, yes, I understand. Uh, he's very, very intense, Robert California. And it's almost like he starts conducting the interview himself rather yes. than just answering questions and letting the others guide the discussion. Gabe says, I'm almost concerned that you're a little overqualified. Do you think that you are? Robert says, do I look like someone who would waste my own time? And Jim, at this point, speaks up or tries to speak up. He says, can you? And he's like, clears his throat because it didn't come out very strongly. He says, you are a, a man of great confidence. Could you speak a little more to that and uh, what the role of confidence would be in a dialogue with a subordinate? Robert says, will you be heard? Will you have a voice? Will I steamroll over you? Do you feel heard right now, Jim? Do you have a voice right now? You can answer me. Jim just says, yes. That was your choice, not mine. <laughs> and I, I would read the rest of it, but I, don't, I mean, we're, we're going to quote all of his stuff. And He's... we don't need to. It's all funny. <laughs> it is. And by the end, uh, he is also confident that he's going to get the job. He says, I will get offered the job. That's a call I've received many times. The slight hopefulness in their voice, the pregnant pause while they wait to hear my response. And then my response. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he actually tells, he, he has a, a, an interaction with another character that we'll see in a minute. He tells a character played by Ray Romano, that the business is crap. This is what Dwight overhears when Dwight kind of steps up and throws his hat in the ring. So then Ray Romano's character goes up there and he's, he's on his way up as Robert's on his way out. And he takes Robert's word for it, that this is a failing company and it's awful and there's people, you know, it's, it's a dying industry. Ray Romano, I'm going to call him that because I don't know his real name goes up there with this expectation that these are awful people and an awful company, and he self-sabotages his interview and starts eating in the middle of the interview and asks for a relocation because he wants to not run the chance of running into his co-workers outside of work. And Toby apologizes. If they did anything to upset him, why are you acting this way? And Ray eventually says that he never should have listened to that weirdo in the lobby, and these are the nicest people I've ever met. What did I do? I, I, I screwed up my chances of getting this great job because I listened to this crazy guy in the lobby. So he's definitely, uh, he, he shot himself in the foot. And then we have Catherine Tate appearing as a character. We learn her name is Nellie, and she just seems crazy. <laughs> she is nonsensical and just has a whole bunch of ideas that don't make a whole lot of sense. They all conflict. <laughs> they all do. Uh, she says, first I'll take down the cubicle walls. And Toby says, but there aren't, and she's a symbol of transparency. There'd be no titles. Everyone would have the same job. Same goes for me. I'd take your job, but I'd reject the title. Gabe says, a little unspecific. Nellie says, everyone would be known for their accomplishments. And it goes on and on and on and on. And Jim says, well, there might be a conflict there. If a conflict did arise, how would that be dealt with? He says, hmm, yeah, hmm, well, you caught me. Scratch everything I just said. I tell you what I do, go the other way, more cubicles, more division. <laughs> so she's already conflicting herself. And then later she said they'd have a Thai woman in the office who would be giving massages or you, you could talk to her because she's just a person after all. For God's sake, she's a person. You can talk to her. And in the producer's cut, we get more. She's going to turn Dunder Mifflin Scranton into the office of the future. It's going to be like the inside of a virgin airplane, telecommuting, 
everyone's at home. The office is just a big empty space. It's just full of screens. Sony, Sony, everything's just Sony, made of Sony from Sony. Jim says, I don't think that's how telecommuting works. <laughs> and she continues, and then we sell tickets to tourists for them to see the office of the future. Cutting edge. You have to hire me. There's no ideas left. That's all the ideas there is. There's a lot more where they came from. <laughs> and we, we learned from Joe. Her name was Nellie. Uh, they do know each other. Um, she didn't mention it. Joe says, integrity move. I like it. And in the producer's cut, we find out where they met. They met at a, as Joe called, dumb women in business seminar that she was speaking at. And Nellie was the only one not selling some kind of curves knockoff. And yet again, Nellie is another confident candidate by the end saying, oh, yeah, I'll get this job. Joe's an old friend. I think I'm her best friend. She's not my best friend. Yeah, so she's extremely confident as well. We get Jim Carrey playing a guy who is very concerned about the fact that he needs to go on a trip to the Finger Lakes. And he really should be there right now, but he snuck away for this interview. But just so you know, after I start, there is a time where I already committed to go to the Finger Lakes. I just want to make sure that I can go to the Finger Lakes. And they, they make fun of him a little bit. And then he gets a talking head. I want the job. I really do. It's just the rest of my family is in the Finger Lakes right now. I'm supposed to be in the Finger Lakes right now. I told him I was on a hike. Snuck away to do this interview. I already said that, but I got to get back pretty soon. They'll worry. People disappear in the Finger Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I mean, Jim actually mentions in, in the episode, he said, well, he's actually a pretty decent candidate. Besides the fact that he's obsessed with the Finger Lakes, he's qualified. So we don't get much else on him, but he's a contender at this point. Now that we've talked about all the, the candidates, let's talk about the cold open, which is fantastic because we get to see Creed as acting manager. Yeah. How have we not mentioned this yet? <laughs> yeah. He has a sports car. I don't know if it's what he normally drives. I kind of doubt it. But the license plate reads, new MGR, new manager. He says, it's a beautiful morning at Dunder Mifflin, or as I like to call it, Great Bratton. Funny play on words. Tosses his key at a valet that isn't there. And he says, keep it running. I mean, does he not plan on staying for the full workday or is he just going to leave his car running all day? I don't know. He says, do I love being manager? I love my kids. I love real estate. I love ceramics. I love my job. I, I love wrestling. And so he's just continuing being completely scatterbrained and completely as we expect Creed to be in a position like this. Uh, he also asks Jordan, who's still there as the executive assistant, to find out what language this is. And he just starts speaking in gibberish. It is clearly not a language whatsoever, but Creed wants it translated. And then I love this part. He starts a team building activity in the conference room and he lifts off a bunch of names, some of which are actual employees' names, unlike Ted and Elroy. And the camera pans out and there are only two people in the conference room listening to him. And then there's a talking head of the gym. He's laughing and he says, yeah, he never called a meeting. <laughs> it's just <laughs> talking to no one. He, he didn't say anything. And then we have him in the main office in the, the bullpen. And he's got a big white notepad and he has written down the left column of the paper. Bo Buddy, B-O-B-O-D-D-Y. And they are going to make some acronyms. That's their activity. So what does the first B stand for? That's not, hmm, no, you take words and then you make an acronym out of them, not the other way around. <laughs> they decide that the first B should probably stand for business. So 
down he writes B-I-Z-N-U-S-S or whatever. We don't see the finish. And then Pam has a talking head. We need a new manager. (laughs) (laughs) All excellent things for the Creed cold open. Continuing down the list of funny things, when Joe comes in, Dwight approaches her and says, hey, can I speak to you for a second? She says, or what, you going to shoot me? <laughs> and Dwight just forces, it's, it's incredibly forced laughter, laughter, like, oh, yes, what you just said is so funny. And I have no hard feelings towards you making fun of my mistake that cost me my job. It, it's pretty funny. There are several other Creed ones I wanted to mention as well. There's a whole line with Creed making phone calls during the day, none of which are to actual clients except for the first one luckily pam catches onto this and intercepts with jordan's help so pam listens to this phone call where creed says first of all i want to thank you for your years of patronizing our company but i've got some bad news we're going out of business pam walks in and says hang up and he does immediately and she hands him two identical photos and says corporate needs you to find the difference between this picture and this picture there are at least seven So Creed gets to work on that. And then Creed tells Jordan to get their biggest client on the phone right now. So Pam overhears this and and tells Jordan to put Creed through to her. So now there are a series of excellent phone calls between Creed and various clients throughout the day, all of which are Pam. Pam says, hello, this is the client as (laughs) the number one client. Creed doesn't say this is Creed from Dunder Mifflin. He says, it's Creed. Okay, great. Great. Who's great? Who's that? (laughs) FYI, I'm starting my own paper company. I'm looking to poach some chumps. You in? Yes. Cool. Let's keep this on the QT, okay? I don't want you to be a dead mama jama. So, cool. Creed is apparently starting his own paper company. And then after he has, quote, poached the first top client, uh, he says, hey, Jordan, now uh, get me the second biggest client. He says, this is fun. I love work. And Pam answers again. Uh, she lowers her voice, and Creed sort of suspiciously asks, who is this? And Pam says, this is your second biggest client. <laughs> <laughs> How would they know that? <laughs> yeah. And he buys it, and he doesn't go on about the same thing. He's not asking about his new paper company he's apparently starting. He says, listen carefully, because I'm going to sing you a song. And so he begins scatting over the phone. And Pam's just like, yeah, I don't need to listen to this. And just lays the headset down on her desk. And meanwhile, in the background at reception, Aaron is enjoying listening to Creed scatting. Then Creed and Pam talk again on the phone. We don't know who Pam is at this point, but Creed says, you remind me so much of my fourth biggest client. And Pam now is in this high girly voice. And she says, is that right? (laughs) Creed says, I think (laughs) you two should meet. So Jordan, or as he calls her, Jordana, has patched the fourth biggest client and the ninth biggest client together in a conference call with Creed. So now Creed is talking to Pam and Pam. The fourth and ninth biggest clients have to meet over the phone. So so Pam is just switching between this male and female voice. Creed is just thrilled with his matchmaking skills. Andy, in the producer's cut, has put up a poster. You can see it in the background in the normal episode, but we get to linger on it for a second in the producer's cut. And it's to appeal to the search committee. It's just text. No pictures, no graphics, no color. It just says in big letters, if you're on the search committee, please consider Andy. And Aaron, ever supportive of Andy, says, it's just words, which will surprise people. Andy says, it's based on a really successful cigarette ad campaign from a while back. Now, here's something surprising. Aaron says, those are good ads. 
they got me smoking when I was eight. And I couldn't quit smoking until the government put out better ads about not smoking. And then sort of forlornly, she just says, man, I love smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Something we didn't know about Aaron. Yeah, wouldn't have guessed. Also, Andy, we get that talking head from Andy after he discusses his want to be a manager, but he admits that he's not so good at getting out and, and, and going after things he wants. His talking head says, in my family, you don't really go out and get things. If you want something, you write it on a list, and the housekeeper goes out and gets it on Wednesdays and Fridays. So, I don't know, I guess you could say this job is on my list, and we'll see what Rosa comes back with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mentioned a talking head earlier uh, between Phyllis and Stanley. It's in the producer's cut, and Phyllis says, Yeah, we know this is a popularity contest, and Daryl is the coolest kid in school. And Stanley says, It used to be Jim, but it hasn't been Jim in a long time. I just had to think, is it because Jib's a dad now? Like, do you all of a sudden stop being cool when you're a dad? Or, I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> or maybe it was when he became co-manager with Michael that he stopped being cool. I don't know. Daryl is panicked about his resume and is on the phone with someone, I guess, from Microsoft because he is discussing Microsoft Word. And there used to be a paperclip that would pop up and say, looks like you are writing a letter or resume. Would you like help? I believe his name was Clippy. (laughs) Daryl has no idea how to write a resume, and Clippy used to help, but I don't know what happened to him. When Dwight finally gets an interview with the committee, Jim asks, what's your name? And he says, Dwight Schrute. Jim closes the folder and says, thank you, Mr. Schnoot. That's all we needed. Dwight protests, obviously. Jim says, well, I'm actually leaning more towards Jacques Souvenier. Would you like to be his number two? And Dwight seriously considers it and says... It'll be really hard, but yeah, I would do it. (laughs) Again, producer's cut. Because I don't think that's something we mentioned in our discussion. When Joe asks Dwight, okay, say I had hired Jacques Souvenier, what would you have done? He said, I would have dressed up like this every day, and I would have learned French, and I would have figured it out. And Joe, that's what finally convinces Joe to give Dwight an interview, because he would have done that for the company, and she thinks that's a little crazy, but she likes crazy. Kelly, in her interview, said that she had managed her department for several years now successfully. Had it been a real department, that might have been impressive. But Jim points out that her department is just her, right? She says, yes, Jim, but I am not easy to manage. (laughs) Possibly very true, yes. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. (laughs) Dwight, at the beginning of the episode, when he's still disheveled and he's got his splotchy, patchy beard and he's wearing non-work clothes, he's he's looking at the classifieds And Pam says, are you really going to apply for work at Scranton Breadworks? And Dwight responds, bread is the paper of the food industry. You write your sandwich on it. If you say so. If you say so. Also in the producer's cut, when Dwight sort of turns everything around and decides, okay, I'm going to go after this again. He enters the office clean shaven. He's back to wearing his normal mustard shirt work attire. And he confirms with Aaron, you still have my resume on file, right? says, I need you to print out four copies on 32-pound cotton stock, bright white. No. Ivory. Like, it's such a a serious decision. It it needs to be on ivory, not white. He's got to be proud of his paper choice. He is a paper salesman, after all. Big deal, yeah. Ryan is very concerned about who should be the next manager, as everyone should be, but he's concerned about it, I think, for a different reason. He says that he got away with everything under the last boss, and it wasn't good for him at all. So he says, I want guidance. I want leadership. But don't just like boss me around, you know, lead me when I'm in the mood 
to be led. <laughs> Which <laughs> not will quite be how never. that works. <laughs> when Dwight is still convincing, trying to convince Jim to give him an interview, they're walking around in the parking lot. Dwight says, "How's the family? Good, good. They good? Yeah." Dwight asks, "What's your daughter's name again?" PP, and Jim corrects him. Quote corrects him. Peepa. Dwight says, "Peepa, how is she?" <laughs> Jim is just so quick-witted and fast on his feet, and he always has a response to Dwight's nonsense like that. And so, no, it's not PP. It's Peepa. Get it right. <laughs> I wish I could think that quickly. Yeah, at least Dwight had it rhyming. Yeah, PP, CC, okay. Kevin thinks that if Angela can get a gay man to marry her, then maybe he could get a lesbian to marry him. Oscar says, have you ever met a lesbian? (laughs) That's not what (laughs) Angela's problem is. She's not attracted to gay men. That's not, it's not the same. (laughs) Another producer's cut scene. Dwight has a talking head. He says, I won't give up or be discouraged because becoming manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton is my destiny. And the only potential obstacle is if becoming manager is someone else's destiny as well. He says, if this, is, if this becomes a case of clashing destinies, sit back and enjoy the show. There's another Kevin one where Jim asks in the round table, the accidental round table, if anyone has any thoughts about who should be manager. And Kevin says, anybody? Yeah, I have thoughts. Who do I want to be manager? Let me see. What do I want? Oscar tries to interrupt. He says, no, no, no. Anyone can talk. What do I want? I'm looking for someone who everyone is listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets so starstruck at himself, basically, that, oh, my goodness, people are listening to me right now. It's impressive. And okay, let's shut this down. (laughs) Dwight, at one point, is texting Joe his resume one line at a time. And she gets real pissed. Says, these are costing me 10 cents a piece, you jackass. I'm roaming. And he just sort of sheepishly puts his phone away. And then later, after he's gotten the interview, uh, Jim won't interview him. And so Dwight's going to interview himself for them. He says, what will be your first priority? I will have seven first priorities. Safety. Profits. Fostering a community of self-reliance and entrepreneurship. Listening. Respect for human life bolstering our public image and getting everyone home on time. (laughs) Dwight, let me be frank. In an accident that no one can blame you for, an antique gun was discharged while you were acting manager. How are we ever to trust you again? He lowers his head, comes back up. That's a great question. I'm going to institute a strict no firearms policy for this office that extends to myself as well. Wow. All of my concerns are disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to point out that when Angela got proposed to, the line that Robert used is, will you be a senator's wife? Which is obnoxious, and he used a third person. It's just, the two of them are so into him being a senator, it's gross. (laughs) Also, Gabe and Kelly have a great scene when Gabe is leaving, which I always kind of forget that this is the episode he leaves, but Gabe is on his way out, and Kelly says, you are not leaving without giving me a hug, and she gives him a big hug, and she says, ew. Gabe says, you know what? You don't have to make that sound, and Kelly says, well, you're just a lot bonier than I thought you were going to be. Gabe says, there are plenty of people who love touching me. I'm a terrific hugger. I've been with a bunch of girls, but that's basically all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. 
At the end of the episode in the producer's cut, there are a bunch of talking heads about who people think should be manager. Phyllis says, I'm not a sexist. I just really don't want it to be a woman. I just feel that women are generally less competent than men and less rational. Again, I'm not a sexist. That's the whole, I'm not a racist, but, or I'm not a sexist, but you were being incredibly sexist. And yes, as a woman, you can be a sexist. Yeah. Others include Pam, who says that she wants Daryl to be the manager, or Andy, or someone fast (laughs) now, please, not Creed. And Oscar says he wants Daryl or someone that he doesn't know. So Daryl seems to be the consensus here for a lot of people, uh, which is nice, given that Daryl doesn't believe in himself at this point. He he feels like he blew his chance. There's also a Daryl talking head at the end where he says, every day I have a blueberry muffin. Today, I did not have a blueberry muffin. I should have had a blueberry muffin, especially considering how incredibly superstitious I am. So he thinks that that is what blew his his chances today. Andy, uh, when he says he wants the job, Aaron says from reception, I I see it. I see it like I see a mountain that I'm standing in front of and and facing. And and I'm like, and she's like getting emotional. Like, I I can see you being the manager, Andy. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm standing over this mountain and I like it. <laughs> it's just not nonsensical. <laughs> During Andy's interview, one of the questions Gabe asks is, how many windows are there in New York City? Andy questions the question. Gabe says, it's critical thinking. It's common on-the-spot question in interviews. Andy tries to answer the question. Gabe cuts him off, asks another one. He says, how far away is the sun? And Andy actually knows the answer. I think he says 93 million miles. And then he starts spewing out a lot of other sun-related facts, leading to Gabe shouting out, Shut up about the sun! Shut up about the sun! Top of his lungs. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, um, and in the producer's cut, so that's in the uh, actual episode, in the producer's cut, Jim has a reactionary talking head to that. He says, okay, I'm not a doctor, but I believe the medical term for that was a spaz out. Gabe just lost it. That's the best part about convening a tribunal. One bunal can go down and you still have two bunals left, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, a bunal is something else. A for effort. I did look it up. A bunal is a thing. It's a billy club, like a stick that you hit somebody with. So tribunal is a thing and bunal is a thing, but they are not related. Three bunals do not make a tribunal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when Angela first shows up with her ring and she's showing it off to the women, the women of the office, Pam compliments it and says, it's gorgeous, Angela. And Kelly says, yeah, I actually know about nice rings and it is gorgeous. <laughs> Ouch. That is like unnecessary. And you also don't need to know a lot about nice rings to appreciate a ring. Like <laughs> You can think it's beautiful because you think it's beautiful, but Kelly wants you to know that she knows a lot about nice rings. When Aaron brings out the sock puppet... Probably nobody is more entertained than Kevin. He's really into it. Oh, yeah. He has a talking head about it. He says, it's good. I just, it's just that I wish the puppets would talk more about the alphabet. Not for me, but if any kids are watching A, B, and so forth, you know, M and L O P F. <laughs> F is another. I like how, okay, so for the longest time, I thought he was saying Elemento, like it was one letter, mm-hmm. which he is, but he's saying M-L-N-O. Yeah, <laughs> M-N-L-O. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's got the order mixed up. 
And he thinks it's one letter. <laughs> yeah. Eminello. Eminello. And then the last one I have to mention, it's again in that final round table discussion scene where they're all talking about who they want to be manager. Angela butts in and says, well, let me be clear. I only speak for myself and not myself and the senator. I think we have some wonderful candidates and there's a great lively debate here. But let's think about, and then Toby cuts her off of all people. He says, no, 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 sorry. We cut Kevin off for the same thing. You have to have something to say if you talk. And so Angela just like rolls her eyes and okay, I guess I'm done then. I don't have anything to say. (laughs) And that's it. Yeah. Okay. uh, It's a big episode. I mean, we talked about this one episode for an hour, hour, 15 minutes, just about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's season seven. That's Michael gone. And now season eight is going to be a brand new era of the office. And we've said it before, or I've said it before, at least for me, I really like seasons eight and nine. And I know, I think Katie, you do too. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to talk about them. And I hope those of us who are maybe not as keen on season eight and nine, if you've seen them before, you stick it out with us and maybe you find a little bit more merit than you did in the past, because there is plenty to love, even in the absence of Michael Scott. There's truly a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah. As evidenced by our last two episodes that were without Michael Scott being like hour and a half episodes. Yeah. I feel like two of our biggest episodes have happened since Michael. Um, Especially episode 81. We talked for like two hours. It was was a long (laughs) time. During our recording. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm excited to, to get started on season eight. And with that, that is the end of the official 82nd episode of An American Workplace Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Please go over to Apple Podcasts. Consider giving us a rating and a review um, and hitting that subscribe button. Big help and helps us spread to more people. If you have any direct feedback or ideas, you can send it to us at workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you would like to be heard on the show, you can leave us a voicemail. Leave a minute or less voicemail. Try and write it out beforehand. Plan what you're going to say so you can be specific and we can respond to exactly what you're trying to say. You can call 93-PRETZ-DAY. as 93-P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y. Or the number is 937-738-9329. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope. You can find where other podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 82 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 83 for our discussion on the first two episodes of season eight, The List and The Incentive. Bye. I was like, ah. No, it's, it's all right. I, I saw uh, in those last few seconds that it was not going to happen. And so I had it open in another tab. I didn't see that until right now. No, it's awesome. okay. Okay, and stop.
Okay, well, with that, I was on the wrong document. Um, I mean, I know what to say, but I want to read it. I, I didn't read it yesterday, and I couldn't do it. <laughs>